0: You're listening to the Co-Main Event podcast and now your hosts Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts podcast. I'm your co-host Chad Dundas from bleacherreport.com. Sitting alongside Ben Folks from MMA Junkie in USA Today. Ben, uh, we're recording a little early this week. Your wife has some kind of an appointment, I assume, with a marriage counselor. Uh, and you are going to, I assume, I, we haven't talked about this, but you're going to have to go home and watch your children.
1: You know, you're you're making an awful lot of assumptions right off the bat. I'll tell you that.
0: Well, so you're not going to go home and watch your children? Is that not what's happening here?
1: Listen, I'm, I'm going to go home. I'm going to see what those kids are up to. And... uh you know, if they're cool about it, then sure, I'll stay and hang out with them. But if they're going to be a bunch of jerks, then uh, who knows? Maybe I'll just go out in the backyard and dig a hole or something.
0: This will be your first time, right? What are you trying to pull? First right time now? watching the kids. Listen, fathering?
1: I'm a, I'm a veteran of you, this stuff by you now. Do any fathering I got, today? I know what it's like to to care for two of them at the same time, Chad. You you do not have any idea what you're in for
0: yet. That's true. And one of mine is going to be a boy. So after that, then I will just continue, continually pull rank on you forever. You're I'll done. do the, the James, uh, the, uh, the, the Jim Brown thing from the early UFCs where he's like, talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> you're,
1: I'm just saying right now, you're done for. There's no way you'll survive this. This
0: place is already a dump. It's going to be 10 times worse once there's a tiny little savage running around here just breaking things for fun.
1: Yeah, I, I look forward to it.
0: I'm sure you do. I bet you do. Ben, once again, this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast is brought to you by the National Academy of Sports Medicine. If you're looking for an exciting career in the fitness industry, then the National Academy of Sports Medicine could be for you. You can wake up every morning doing something that you love. NASM trainers improve people's lives by helping them reach their health and fitness goals. Don't miss this opportunity to start a career where you get to stay active and change people's lives. The NASM guarantees you'll land a job within 60 days of earning your CPT certification or your money back. Now, Ben, last week, you revealed some personal information on the podcast that in college you were a personal trainer. I was. So we've had some email uh, uh, queries sent into the podcast. I want you to give us an impromptu personal trainer health tip right now.
1: Can it be about the importance of drinking water? I
0: suppose it can. No.
1: I, I'll tell you. You know what? I'll borrow one from my man, Boss Rutin. Don't forget to breathe. Very important to breathe.
0: That's a good one. Yeah. I mean, that does seem important. That's right. Ben, we've got a special offer for our listeners from the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Can you tell us what that is?
1: Well, Chad, you can get a free 14-day 14, 14 trial of fun online programs at myusatrainer.com. That's myusatrainer.com. Restrictions apply. See myusatrainer.com for details. We've also got music
0: this week. The Dude Lords are back. What we played their music on the show a while back, and we're pleased to have them now as a second run act on the U on the CME. Uh, they are a four piece indie surf group from Long Beach, California, and they write quote We are DraftKings users and listeners since the old website. Wow. So there you go. Not only do they have cred, but uh, they they uh, utilize our advertisers. And they're going to give a nice free plug for DraftKings.
1: I got to say, I like me some Dude Lords. Like, I, what's it going to take for the Dude Lords to become the CME house band?
0: They got to send us more songs. Here's okay. what they write: these, that's all th- it takes. Th- these three songs this week are from our upcoming cassette album by Leg Records. It's coming out in May. So,
1: wait a minute. Am I to understand that this is an album that's only going to be available on
0: cassette tape? Well, that's kind of an indie indie thing now. Is it? Yeah, kind of like a music underground. Get your get your but clearly Music it's on cassette tape thing. on the internet because we have it. Yeah, we have. Not everybody has. This, this is exclusive to us. Okay. They sent us these these tracks, and this thing doesn't even come out till May. So, so, I'm just
1: saying, you send me a cassette tape right now, and I couldn't tell you how I could go about
0: playing it. You know, as as you sit there now, I realize I should have given this a harder plug at the beginning, the exclusive nature of this. <laughs> album right. doesn't even come out till May, and See, here we have it.
1: You'd never, you wouldn't last a day working for UFC Fight Pass failing to
0: mention how exclusive this shit is. That's true. That is true. If you like what you hear, you can check them out at thedudelords.com. That's thedudelords.com. Awesome name. Three rounds as usual this week for the co-main event podcast. In round number one, be honest. How many of you MMA writers were halfway through your Mirko Crow Cop obituaries and then you had to hit select all and just delete the whole thing? And in round number two, well, damn it, Yoel Romero tore up his knee, and now the silk vest and newsboy cap quotient for the UFC on Fox F-15 post-fight press conference just went down like 1,000%. Can somebody get Chris Camosi to a tailor? And in round number three, Luke Rockhold and Leoto Machida are both gonna go out there with their five o'clock shadow and their smoldery eyes and battle for potential number one contender status in the middleweight division on Saturday. Just not in the face, you guys. Just not in the face. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But right now, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail. Comes to us this this week from Joakim Calantari, long time listener. I still have no idea how to pronounce his his name. I don't think anybody does. I think Joakim. I think I nailed that one.
1: I wouldn't even go that far.
0: You think it could be Jo Kim, like Jo Kim Noah? That'd be kind of cool. But Kalantari, no, I I got nothing there still.
1: Listen. He listens to the show. He knows what the deal is. That's true.
0: Yeah, he, he doesn't think I'm going to get it right. He writes, oh, boy, here we go again. Looks like the poet Philip Baroni is fixing to once more lose grasp of his ever fleeting consciousness, this time by trying to get a fight with Joe Schilling. I don't want to see that shit. Do you? If not, please take this opportunity to suggest a few better ideas to which you think the poet will be best served to direct his efforts. If any of these ideas lead him to making some cash and or publicity – uh, publicly get into hilarious situations well then i guess everybody wins yeah this is a weird one um so the poet philip baroni and bellator fighter joe Schilling have been at odds on the social media
1: that's right beefing beefing up, uh,
0: beefing on to- the twitter machine
1: they've been beefing uh near as i can figure it started that the poet philip baroni was sitting at home watching joe Schilling's fight on uh friday night in bellator and you know kind of talking some shit, saying how he could beat him and he's not that good, stuff like that.
0: That seems like a fairly obvious ploy to me, if I by the poet Philip Baroni.
1: <laughs> well, and see here's what I was thinking about this, because uh, making the point like, hey, you know, he it's it's a bad idea for Phil Baroni, he's gonna lose grasp of his consciousness again. Uh, I think that uh, if you're looking at Phil Baroni's career right now and you're asking yourself, how might Phil Baroni get himself into a fight that is more high-profile than his record would suggest of late that he deserves. This is pretty much it, right? Like, that's pretty much the only way it's going to happen for him. And, you know, let's be honest. He has to kind of battle with the the struggle against, like, continued interest in the career of one Philip Baroni. Stuff like this... It's, that's about as good as it gets for him. I mean, if you're saying you, you want him to pursue a better idea, I guess the only better idea would be retiring.
0: Tenden Bar, down at Cubby Sampson's. That's what I would do. If he could land that gig.
1: Well, I think that... that he could take home reports you know, of $200 check.
0: a night in tips on a, on a high-traffic night.
1: You think that they're not... On a weekend. Calling those references at Cubby Sampson's.
0: I, I have no idea what the hiring practices are over there. Let's talk a little bit about Joe Schilling, even though he lost... Uh, this past weekend to Rafael Car- Carvalho by split decision at Bellator 136. Uh, it seemed like he was going to be kind of a big deal and maybe will go on being kind of a big deal for Bellator if he gets into this feud with the poet Philip Baroni. Obviously, like he won that fight late last year against Melvin Manhoff by by uh, would you say? come from behind punch it seemed like melvin manhoff kind of had that one in hand at least by my recollection
1: he was it was kind of a man a classic manhoff situation yeah, and really then joe
0: schilling knocked him out right right and before that joe schilling had been what a k1 kickboxer i think and but but like you know he was only one and three in in mma competition before that now he's two and four so i don't know if things have gotten much better but like he kind of came from nowhere and then bellator produced a, like a fairly intriguing uh you know, a video vignette about him the week leading up to this uh, Raphael Carvalho fight. And uh, it seemed kind of like Joe Schilling was going to be a guy, a capital G guy for Bellator. Uh, and I guess if he can get himself into a feud with the poet Philip Baroni, maybe he will be. Yeah,
1: and I think that if you're Bellator, at least, and you're looking at, look, like, what do you do with either one of these guys? They're both coming off losses. Uh, I guess you're pretty happy to have something that, Manage to generate some headlines and and create a little heat for you, uh, and then you can go ahead and throw those guys in the cage, and you don't really have to worry so much about what their records are, because people are still going to be interested in that. I mean, I guess the only question is, is that fight going to actually happen? Because I don't know if you were following the Twitter beef. It seemed like Joe Schilling uh, was pretty mad and saying, like, all right, I'll fight you right now, and Phil Baroni wants eight to ten weeks to get in shape. Oh, okay, Um,
0: yeah. That's always best to talk a lot of shit and then be like, but I'm not ready. Yeah. So – Give me some time.
1: I'll, I will need s- roughly six and a half years to complete my training. <laughs> um, but then, but then I tr- will meet
0: you out by the bike rack. You're in trouble. And we're going to throw down. Next question this week comes from Maximilian Loshinger. He writes the strawway division is kind of a mess right now with no real number one contender before UFC Krakow. All signs pointed towards a title fight in Scotland. But that obviously is no longer an option, assuming that Joanne, a champion, will still defend her title sometime in the summer. Who do you give the title shot to? Uh, M- Marina Moroz? How'd that go? Was that okay? Yeah. Well, what is it? How do you say M- Marina? it? Marina. Marina. And then what's the last name? Morose. Morose. Oh, I got that right. Uh, for defeating JoJo. The winner of Paige Van Zandt versus Felice Herrig. A uh, quasi instant rematch for Claudia Godella. Bitte Discut diskutieren Sie, man. All that German, and I still fumbled that. Yeah, one. it's been a while. It's been a while for you, hasn't? Here's it? what I want to bring up before we answer this question. Maximilian Law, Law singer spells the word "before" without an "e" in the second sense of this. Do you think that that's a subtle nod to Tank Abbott's novel, <laughs> *Street Fighter*? Before oh. there were rules, bar brawler, before there were rules, where God, before I have is spelled so. without an E. what's What happened to the next two books in that trilogy, by the way? not come out yet. I assume they're awaiting publication. Yeah.
1: yeah. I he's, know from
0: firsthand now that it can be a long process. Yeah.
1: He's really going to tease it out, going to s- stretch those out over the next decade. Uh, okay. I think this is a, an interesting question, and this is something that Danny Downs and I were kind of discussing in our, our trading shots thing because – uh, you know, you coming into that fight, it looks like okay, Joanne Calderwood's a huge favorite, she's gonna go out there and smash this chick, and then she's gonna fight for the, the straw weight title next, maybe in Scotland, it'll be awesome. Uh, and that seemed like, of course, you know, the, the best laid plans. Uh, MMA just can't have those. Uh, so instead, she goes out there, she loses to Moroz, who, who looks pretty sharp and pulls off an arm bar, uh, and then herself takes aim at the champion. And it seems like, sure, okay, that seems like a, a No reason not to make that fight, right? She pulled off a big upset... Uh, she already has this, she's generated immediately this kind of interest between her and the champion, even if it is an all-Polish woman affair now, fine. Uh, I think that it's an interesting enough fight, although I do wonder, since it was on this Fight Pass event on a Saturday afternoon from Poland, you got to wonder how many people saw that, because you're going to want them to pay attention when you have the actual women's strawweight title fight, right? Like, that's it's a title fight, it's going to be at least kind of a big deal, you're going to want people to be tuning into that one, and then... It seems like you made things difficult for yourself because if you do these events, like the ones that you do in Krakow or for the people in Krakow, Krakow. Uh, then it does create this. It, it highlights the kind of problem with that model because you want us to watch those fights because you're going to need to promote those people in future fights. Uh, you can't just write it off and be like, those fights aren't for you. And this is a good example of why.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that probably not very many people did watch this thing in, in Krakow. Uh, well, what, what about Paige Van Zandt versus Felice Herrig? Do you think that they could have an inside track to a title shot? Because, like we talked about either last week or the week before on the podcast, it doesn't really seem like Paige Van Zandt is ready for that kind of thing. Also, with this matchmaking, Paige Van Zandt versus Felice Herrig, you, you ain't know, fooling nobody. Okay. Well, UFC. I think, though, at that- least try to make it look like you're trying to put together a sport. Right. (laughs) You ain't fooling nobody here. You're
1: feeling a little little too foxy boxing.
0: We're getting there. We're Uh, we're walking right up to the line.
1: Well, I mean, at least, you know, when you have like Felice Herrick, she's been around. She's an experienced fighter. It's uh, better than when we saw the the, on the prelims, the fight between two fighters who have never beaten anybody who has a win, uh, at least until this weekend. But I think this one like that could easily jump the line like it's not hard to imagine that a fleece Harry goes out there uh, and beats Paige Van Zandt or vice versa and that person immediately gets on the mic and says Joanna champion where are you at I'm coming for your belt um, shine it up for me or whatever you know. Pull all the old tired uh, lines out of there and and use them. And you know this one will be on Fox and has still a pretty good lineup even without UL Romero. So you know people are going to be watching that one. That could easily jump the line. Uh, I would not be surprised at that either. I mean I guess it is a good point by Maximilian Lashinger that it's kind of a free-for-all right now in that division. You can just win one fight, say the right thing, and the next thing you know you could be fighting for the strap.
0: Yeah, and also the division is so new that I might even put forth that it almost doesn't even matter who Joanna Yenjic fights next because, you know, they're not going to put that – they they will probably put that title defense in some kind of fairly high-profile spot, but they're not going to put it in a high-pressure spot for the strawweight division. It's not like they're going to main event a pay-per-view with that fight that, you know, they'll – they'll stack another one, maybe two other title fights on top of that, if they're going to even try to put it on pay-per-view just so that they, it doesn't have to, you know, perform as any sort of a draw. So like, as long as you get Yen Chick out there with someone either marketable or competitive, I think you're going to be okay for, you know, in the short term, eventually we would like to see this 115 pound division become a division of fighters that we know and, and have like a, a you know, ongoing storylines and stuff that we can follow it's just right now it's so new that that, you know, even with the turnover at the top, it seems like we're still kind of feeling our way along here a little bit.
1: That's true. Although if you're Joanna Jinjachik, you really you need to hold on to the title for a little while because Joanna, former champion, does not sound as cool. It just doesn't
0: have the same ring to no, it. No, it does not. Next question this week comes from J.R. Berger. He writes, What's next for Will Brooks? Wow, what a succinct question. Just short and to the point. Yeah. That'll get you on the show more often than not, I would think. Uh, this, I wanted to bring up this question though, cause I think it is kind of an interesting, interesting one. Uh, Will Brooks went out and beat Dave Jansen, the fugitive old schooler, Dave Jansen.
1: You love that. His nickname team is quest fugitive. guy. You love that.
0: You know, I love my pack West brothers.
1: You know, I did not realize really, I don't know how this escaped my notice until I was sitting here watching this fight and they announced Will Brooks and his nickname, ill Will Brooks. And I'm torn because on one hand it's a rhyming nickname and you know that I don't care for those. Uh, but on the other hand, it's a nickname, like you like the double meaning. I like the double meaning.
0: Yeah. I think it's good, I think overall good. You would have liked to see a, maybe a, a little more originality, but ill will Yeah, that works. That yeah. really does work.
1: Okay. Go on though.
0: So he beats Dave Jansen. He's yes. won a bunch of fights in a row. He hasn't lost since, uh, February, 2013. He got knocked out by Saad Awad later, uh, avenged that loss he beat michael chandler two times in a row in 2014 previous to this we thought maybe michael chandler was going to be the big lightweight star for bellator so now you got will brooks good fighter uh bellator lightweight champion 28 years old seems like a good fighter good guy native of chicago illinois beats up dave jansen this last weekend then we have no idea what he's going to do next right that's what's next for will brooks is this question and i think that you know, illuminates the ongoing trouble that Bellator has. Like they have a couple of stars, they have a couple of guys that they can promote, but they just don't have the ability to really create this ongoing narrative like the UFC can do. That is, you know, pretty important to draw drumming up interest, especially when a lot of the promotional effort is going into guys like Ken Shamrock and Kimbo slice. And, you know, your, your actual top, a-list fighters like Will Brooks sometimes maybe get left in the dust a little bit. I think it's true, and I think the the
1: problem is, like, Bellator is kind of lucky when they can get a guy who seems like a really standout dude in one weight class, and it's really difficult for them to get two of those dudes in the same weight class at the same time. That they were able to do it with Michael Chandler and Will Brooks uh, for a little while there, I think is more a testament to the overall depth of the lightweight division in the sport. Uh, more than anything else, but you know we already saw that fight uh, a couple times. I'm not sure how many more times you can do that one. Uh, so it is. It does create a, a difficult situation. It's also one of those things where you know not too long ago I was talking to Monty Cox, who who uh, manages Will Brooks, and I can't remember exactly what he was saying about how many fights are left on the the contract there, but. You know, Will Brooks is looking at a, a good payday here when his current contract is up and he can talk about either moving to the UFC or making Bellator pay big time in order to retain his services. You could be looking at an Eddie Alvarez situation all over again. So it makes you wonder to what extent Will Brooks is wondering the question, what's next for Will Brooks uh, and where the biggest payday lies? Because what do you do there? Do you do you just try to get a huge contract to stick around and keep being the guy in Bellator or is that the the time where you think like, all right, if I'm ever gonna be considered a number one, uh, overall, I gotta make the jump to the UFC?
0: Well, you would think that even at this stage with Bellator and the steps forward that that company has made, you know, the past year or so after hiring Scott Coker, even now, if you're the twenty eight year old Bellator lightweight champion, you're not necessarily thinking that you're going to finish your career in Bellator, right? Like even if the money is right, the competitor in you still probably wants to chase that dream in, in a bigger company with higher exposure and I would assume the possibility for a bigger payday, right?
1: Well, that's the thing though. I mean like don't you just think you're going to end up getting in a the whole matching clause uh, conversation all over again?
0: That's true. I guess you 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 might be sort of resigned to things if you don't want to get into an Eddie Alvarez type situation. Well, and
1: that's one of the, maybe one of the like kind of pernicious aspects of that Eddie Alvarez situation is if anybody's going to learn anything from it, like what what is your takeaway if you're another fighter and you watch that whole thing unfold? Like you're going to be like, okay, well, I could go through kind of this protracted legal battle and hope that uh, in the end. Uh, I just, you know, either as a goodwill gesture or something, Bellatoris kind of lets me go or I get what I want somehow. Um, But I'm going to have to sacrifice a not insignificant amount of time just to to resolving that. I think a lot of guys are going to look at that situation and be like, don't even want to deal with that. Don't want to fight that battle. Like, just, you know, give me my matching money and I'll take it and go home.
0: Yeah, that's probably true. In any protracted legal battle, the professional fighter is going to be on the uh – on the wrong side, you'd think, because yeah. they, they're they not dealing with an unlimited window. Their yeah. currency is time. That's right. Last question this week comes to us from Steve Franklin. Lengthwise, it is the opposite of the effort from J.R. Berger. <laughs> he writes, how crazy am I to consider this whole Rampage debacle could actually be a clever play by the UFC? in obtaining leverage in their other legal battle. Could this actually help their argument against accusations of monopolization? I mean, they couldn't have predicted the UFC 186 crumbling to a glorified TKO card it is now, but if the worst case scenario was losing Rampage from the card, that isn't really all that bad. At least if the MMA gods didn't strike down everything we liked about this card when it was announced, it was probably worth the trouble of promoting the fight because they're now in a position to turn around and sue Rampage for his poor management of the whole situation and get at least some of their losses back but then again you'd think they would have had a much better backup plan than ex hockey goon in steve bossy i don't know maybe i'm just bitter because this is what i'm stuck with as my annual live event uh, being from ontario but this is the only way but this is the only way the whole clusterfuck makes any sense to me too far of a stretch probably uh I'm kind of with Wait, him. Wait, he
1: goes on to say, anyhow, thanks for being the best podcasting duo. You guys are the best. Cheers. Now that's how he got himself on the podcast, despite his lengthy question.
0: Yeah, I was. I wasn't going to read those props, but I know, you know, <laughs> if anyone hey, can be,
1: let's take them where we can get them, Chad. on
0: to put themselves over. It's probably us. Uh so yeah, I'm. This is out there, right? This idea that this whole rampage thing was a. Uh, I don't know if you want to say Trojan horse, but like a strategy by the yeah. UFC, to, thinking five steps ahead. To yeah, right, checkmate, motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> to uh, to try to use this in the in the antitrust lawsuit somewhere down the road, uh, which almost makes sense, I think. And the reason that it makes sense, though, is because it's hard to believe that the UFC would be so hapless otherwise, right? Like the most surprising thing about any of this. Is that the UFC could have believed that Quentin Rampage Jackson was going to be allowed to fight, and that now, come to find out with the inclusion of Steve Bossy here, that perhaps it didn't have a backup plan. Because when they said Rampage was out, I assumed, okay, well, they must have someone waiting in the wings. Like, I thought we were going to get into one of those UFC situations where they come in with a replacement fight that's better than the original fight. And clearly that hasn't happened in this case. So, Foolish of we you. are left. To believe that they that they legitimately thought Rampage was going to get to fight.
1: Well, you're right that it does seem hard to believe that the way that they went about this was to say, "I don't know," is could Rampage legally sign with us? What do you think, Rampage? And he said, "Yeah, I'm done, man. I, I'm done with that contract. I'm totally free and clear, you guys." And they said, "All right, good enough for us," because Scott Coker said, you know, to to MMA Junkie, to our guy Stephen Morocco, I believe, said. When we heard that Rampage was negotiating with the UFC, I sent an email to you know UFC counsel Kirk Kendrick being like, hey, he can't do that. He's still under contract to us. And they were like, whoa, really? He, he told us otherwise. And then that was it. And then they went ahead and then the next thing he heard was them announcing that they had signed Rampage. That does seem like that would just be like either really aggressive or really sloppy on the UFC's part for them to just hope that that was going to work out. And we were talking not too long ago about how isn't it kind of interesting – that in promoting this fight, you know, we, we had that Rampage interview at UFC Fight Night 63, uh, and every promotional thing that they put out, they were never even talking about the possibility that Rampage might not be able to fight. John Ennick does that interview with him, and they're never even mentioning the possibility that a judge might say, as a judge has said, that he can't fight. And you were saying, that, well, hey, maybe they just figured, like, well... If this whole thing blows up in our face, then it kind of works to our favor in the antitrust lawsuit. Plus, we got to use Rampage's name for a little while to promote this event. You know, who knows exactly how much of a pop you get from that if you then have to turn around and say, by the way, he's not on it anymore. But maybe just for a couple weeks, let's run the hell out of those ads, man. Let's have him on this interview and and we'll just play it up like it's all a done deal and, uh, you know – we win-win either way. You know, we get a little bit of a push that way. If we lose the, the legal battle, then at least we can maybe use that for a future legal battle. That probably seems more important.
0: Right. And if you're just using, if you're promoting a guy that you know isn't going to appear at this event, obviously that's totally a cynical thing to do. Uh, but I've always thought from the beginning that if this was some kind of ploy to use in the antitrust case, why book the guy a fight? And why book the guy, like, a reasonably high-profile fight, as the the emailer points out? Obviously, they didn't know UFC 186 was going to fall apart to the extent that it has. So at the time that they booked Rampage against Fabio Maldonado, it wasn't the co-main event of that pay-per-view. But at the same time, like, if you just announce that you've signed the guy to a contract if your intent is to goad Bellator into some kind of legal action that you then purposefully lose so you can bring that up later in another lawsuit, like, it seems like it's one step too far to then actually book the guy into a high-profile fight at a pay-per-view that you know that you're later going to have to cancel when the same legal battle would play out without that step.
1: Yeah, but it might play out a lot slower. It's by booking him to fight that, I mean, that's what kind of, finally prompted the injunction request from Bellator right like they and that was something the UFC kind of tried to not so subtly take a shot at Bellator over in their response uh uh to the yes. judges ruling the was, UFC
0: response was totally UFC by the way they were
1: both surprised that Rampage had misrepresented the situation to them Uh, and also surprised that Bellator had waited so long before exercising its contractual claim.
0: It's alleged. I believe they said alleged contractual claim. It's alleged
1: contractual claim on Rampage. So, like, if you just announce that you signed the guy, maybe they take even longer uh, to, to exercise that. If you say, like, hey... Uh, he's fighting in a couple of weeks here. It kind of forces them into a situation yeah. where they have to do something about it. That's, and that's a good point. He, how high profile a fight is that, Rampage Jackson versus Fabio Maldonado? It's not like you're like, damn it, we were really hoping to groom Fabio Maldonado for a top spot and this is messing with our plans. No. No. That was not Right, but concern. it's on the
0: main card of a pay per view, which in today's UFC age qualifies as fairly high profile. Like you could have put you could have put that a lot of other places. There's yeah. no shortage of places to stick a fight these days. How worried would you be if you were Rampage Jackson? Because some of the language in this UFC statement, as related, again, by the emailer, uh, certainly seems to leave the door open to the idea that they might take him to court if they feel like he misrepresented his situation.
1: Wouldn't that be some shit, man? Rampage just fending off lawsuits from all damn sides. Oh, God. That's, I mean, you know, granted, like, Rampage Jackson brings almost all of his own trouble on himself but still you gotta feel sorry for the guy if if something like that happens right like come on we know what rampage jackson's deal is he signs a contract with somebody immediately gets upset with that contract tries to go do something else that's just what it is he does man like punishing him for that chad it's like punishing the
0: wind for blowing it ain't right I guess, I guess that's true. I don't know that I would have a lot of sympathy for the guy at this point. But can we
1: can we give a little bit of sympathy though for Steve Franklin, my man Steve Franklin, who, oh, who from Ontario, the,
0: the good people of Canada, our this, neighbors to
1: the north. This is his one fight, he, his one live event he gets to go to this year, and it's this one, this one, USC 186, where the co-main event, uh, or I don't know, I guess uh, I the Fabio Maldonado versus the hockey goon. That's no longer the the co-main event, right? That one's got pushed down the card or something.
0: Oh, did it? I have no idea.
1: Is is it Cb Dollaway and 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 Michael Bisping? Is that now the main event or the co main event?
0: I have no idea. I don't know if they if they juggled the card.
1: I wonder how that hockey goon thing is going to play.
0: He yeah. could win, right? Yeah. Like Fab- Fabio Maldonado is is not necessarily unbeatable in this situation.
1: It does though just feel like a little bit of pandering to the Canadians, does it not? Like, hey, sorry, this this fight card fell all apart, but. Hey, you guys like this hockey stuff, right? We got one of those guys. He's yeah. going to fight for it. With
0: you. the UFC's yeah. usual skin-deep understanding of whatever culture it's about to <laughs> perform an event in front of. So, like, I don't know. Put the Irish flag on the shirt. We're, we're going to be in Dublin. Make it green and gold, man. Can, can like, somebody what? play some bagpipes? Get, get that
1: guy out there. Hey, hey,
0: Mike, doesn't your kid play the bagpipes? Get him in here. Tough road for Canada, though. They used to be the UFC's wife. And now, yeah. like, it's, it's over, man.
1: It really is.
0: That's... That stinks for a passionate fan base up there, too.
1: And to their credit, they're holding on.
0: But for how long?
1: Yeah. Well, the CME still loves you, Canada. That's Send true. us more coffee, crisp.
0: Uh That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, or a concern that you would like to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you know how to get a hold of us you can go to the website comainevent.com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast that'll get you in touch with us as for right now though we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one All right, Ben, well, for about two, two and a half rounds on Saturday, Mirko Krokop looked sort of like the Walking Dead. He wasn't getting a lot done in there against Gabriel Gonzaga. But then midway through the third, he goes upside Gonzaga's head with a couple of uh, standing elbows, uh, knocks him silly, gets him on the ground, finishes things off with uh, you know, strikes on the ground there to force a, a TKO victory. Uh it brings up a lot of of uh legitimate talking points I think that we could go into in this round. I know that you and Danny Downs and in, in trading shots got a little bit into what what these fight pass events mean these days, where we where what position they hold in the industry and and what we can expect from them and that's a uh legitimate avenue of conversation I think. But let's start out just talking a little bit about uh Crow Cop and Gonzaga. I wrote a thing on Bleacher Report last week about this kind of weird Resurgence of throwback MMA in our sport where, uh, you know, fights like Krokop Gonzaga 2, a rematch eight years in the making, and uh, Ken Shamrock Kimbo Slice are viable again. I assume we can blame Tito Ortiz and Stefan Bonner for doing awesome ratings during their terrible fight in Bellator last year. But, like, what, if anything, are we to take away from Mirko Krokop now at uh, the age of 40, right? Yes. The Improving to I want to get his record right, 31, 11, 2, and 1. Well, that's a lot of numbers. Uh, Against Gonzaga, and now having won three in a row, albeit two of them against the same dude and one of them against a guy who's now 0-3. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's so hard to
1: know what to make of it, not only because, as you say, he goes out there and he beats Gabriel Gonzaga, who's not exactly on a hot streak himself, but also that he looked... Like he just wasn't doing much in the first two rounds, and he kind of seemed to suggest afterwards that that was all part of his strategy.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. So would I. Frankly, <laughs> I
1: would suggest that was part
0: of my strategy
1: as well. I did have a moment where you know because this was a at times a long slog of a fight card. Uh, I still like the idea of the the morning, early afternoon UFC events get done. You can go and, and live a life after that. Uh, I think it can be fun, especially with a fight card that doesn't feel like it matters quite as much uh, like this one. But there was a moment after like six hours of this where uh, I was watching, you know, we're two rounds into the main event here. Krokop is doing the thing where he gets taken down into half guard and then just kind of clutches onto Gonzaga's head and, and waits for help to arrive and, uh, the, the commentators mentioned that he's pacing himself because, you know, this is a five round fight. And I was like, Oh, damn it. It is, isn't it? This could take, this could take a long time. We could just be sitting here for a long time watching this go on. Uh, so hey, maybe he did have that in his head and thought like, All right, we'll just kind of hang around. We'll hang around for a little while and then we'll spend everything we got all at once. Uh, and if so, then brilliant strategy, Mirko. It totally worked. It also leaves you feeling like, yeah, I don't know if I like your chances any better if you were forced to fight any of the young dudes, what fewer you relatively young dudes there are in the heavyweight division right now.
0: Yeah, and I agree with you that I think that the Saturday afternoon time slot is can be a good one. Uh, you know, sometimes it would probably feel like you were burning daylight if you lived in a place like Montana where these sunny and 60-degree days are numbered. They are not... An, uh, you know, unlimited out here. So like when you're sitting at home watching a a UFC second rate, low level UFC fight card in the middle of a Saturday afternoon, I could see that that might start weighing on your mind. But I mean, the real problem with this here is that a, a fight card like this is really a UFC event, kind of in name only, right? Like you could totally see Mirko Krokop and Gabe Gonzaga main eventing a much smaller an event for a much smaller promotion uh, in Europe uh, in the, you know, that that would air via internet stream only in the, in the United States. Um, And I think that that brings up a discussion a little bit about fight pass. We've, it's been a long time since we talked about it on the show. Uh, But we, you know, we're more than a year into this thing now. And so I think we, we don't, we don't aren't required to wait any longer to like say that we've, we've got a handle on what's going on over on fight pass. Uh, like we said last week or the week before, this is the first event on fight pass we think since November. And I don't know when the next one is. So like, if you're trying to hang your hat on live programming there, uh, for fight pass, um, it seems like kind of a tough sell to me at this point. Well, in a way,
1: I feel like it almost can work if they, if, if, if you're right, you know, and Danny brought up the same point, like if they'll kind of figure out what the pitch is, what this really is. Because it, basically, like you said, they've created their, like a, a kind of minor league version of themselves, like a Saturday afternoon, you know, UFC light kind of right. thing. Which, I mean, maybe there's a place for that.
0: I think there could be. I think the trouble, if that's what you want to do, is branding, right? And yes. I said that a long time ago. I said that when they first started doing this, that it was trouble to brand these Fight Pass events as part of the same quote-unquote Fight Night series that you also see on television and that you have come to expect a certain brand of quality from, right? And so, like, when you have these lower-level events, like this one that we got this past weekend, I feel like it would be helpful... To call it something different so that fans knew what they were getting into and so that expectations were different. Uh, Although, you know, I don't know that that is the right idea. If you were the UFC, would you want to do to to introduce a fight show and admit like this is not as good as the thing that we offer elsewhere, even though that admission is implicit in the fact that it's only on the internet.
1: Yeah, well, and it's implicit in a lot of ways. uh, And, you know, there are, like, if you've been paying attention, if you're enough of a fan to be watching Fight Pass events in the first place, you know not only is it, you know, because it streams entirely over the internet uh, at a weird time, um, but different announcers, you know, different ring girls. Like, you can just kind of see the the markers that everyone I think has come to identify as like here is a show that the UFC considers not its best stuff. Joe Rogan didn't make this trip. You know, Dana White probably doesn't make. any You know these who trips. I feel
0: bad for? Or I'm starting to feel bad for though is Bruce Buffer. He's at all of these things, man.
1: And you're and you're figuring like he's doing that at the expense of his.
0: I mean, what? no matter what, that's still a lot of travel. Even if you don't have a lot other stuff in your life aside from your career as a professional poker player, that's still, man, flying a Krakow. He's
1: seeing the world, Chad. I guess so. I guess so. Seeing the world in a velvet tux or whatever. <laughs> uh I I mean, I think that there are a bunch of those little indicators that we've all learned to to identify as here's a sign that the UFC knows this is not the thing. I think that one of the things that bugs me, and this is a consistent UFC thing that bugs me is whenever they tell us like, try to tell us something is something that it's not. I get really mad because for one thing, like you're lying to me and you know it and I know it. And you're assuming, I guess that I'm dumb enough that I won't recognize it. But you're also like, whenever you do that, um, like the way they will try to sell everybody, you know, whoever's fighting and defending their title next is the pound for pound best, uh, and maybe the best in the world. And every time they kind of trot out that same stuff, you're just like forcing me to examine the ways that it is not true. Uh, which, seems counterproductive you know and, and not to mention like just lazy like you can't just keep doing that over and over again and so i think that that's kind of the problem like there are there are times where you're watching like some of those those fights and on fight pass and you're listening to the ufc commentators talking about it and they're talking like in the co-main event with the, the jimmy Manoa fight and they're saying like oh people are on the edge of their seats here and i'm like no nah, i don't think they are i don't think there's a single person on the edge of their seats unless they're thinking about whether they should get up and go get a beer right now like when you're doing that uh, and you're trying to, like, sell me this product, like, that's when it starts to feel, like, artificial. And I, But I wonder if they would be better off just being like, all right, hey, we don't – these guys are, are not the best, but they're fighting basically to prove that they deserve a promotion off of the Fight Pass events to a Fox Sports 1 event.
0: Yeah, so, like, some truth in advertising, <laughs> in other words, that would – uh, would be kind of a refreshing change. So yeah, like I said, we've been, we've been doing the fight pass thing for a while now. I think that it's a known commodity at this point. Um, at some point you, th- I would assume that it is going to grow beyond what it currently is. And as I've said on this show before, if you gave me a UFC fight pass that included everything that the UFC does, I would pay almost any price. Like I could pay a hundred dollars a month and still save money. Once you consider my cable bill and like what I would be spending on pay-per-view. Uh, but right now, if if you're going to get these events that, you know, every now and then you're going to get a Conor McGregor fighting in Dublin event where it makes sense probably that that is something you want to mark on your calendar to watch. Most of them, it seems like, are going to be more like Mirko Cro versus Gabriel Gonzaga and Krakow, which might not be the greatest thing, the greatest watch in the world. And to their credit, I guess the UFC is still doing this on a month-to-month subscription basis. They're not asking you to sign up for six months like, say, the WWE Network does.
1: They will give you, I think, a little bit of discount if you sign up for a year.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, at this point, like, I would be surprised to find that a a lot of people are just doing the set it and forget it, right? Like, the smart play here is to just cancel your fight pass after the event that you want to watch. Right. And then you wait three months, and then if another one comes up, then you get it again.
1: Yeah, which then, again— as we talked about before, turns an event like Gonzaga versus Crow Cop into a $10 pay-per-view. Like that's what you're right. So you
0: essentially, you have to wait for the one that you think is worth the $10. Yeah. Right? Like the McGregor in Dublin fight was probably, you know, worth it. Cause <laughs> that was not... a crazy event and it was, it was worth watching. Right. I mean,
1: you're not going to see that one of that caliber again anytime soon. Right. Because I mean, like, because it was so awesome and uh, turned out so great. McGregor's off of those. He's not like, he's not going to be made an event a, a fight pass event anymore. He is pay-per-view only from now on pretty much. So yeah, I mean I guess like is that your best hope to see the the kind of those fighters before they become so big time that the UFC would never waste them on Fight Pass. Right.
0: But I mean eventually I mean every now and then you're gonna get a, a, a legitimate legitimately pretty good fight pass event. Yeah. Well
1: but I mean again I think the problem is gonna come back for the UFC where like if you are creating a ten dollar pay-per-view and you're asking people to, you know, decide, hey, is this one worth your time on a Saturday afternoon or the convenience of being able to watch it whenever you want to or pick and choose your fights? I mean, there are a lot of good things about the fight pass viewing model as opposed to just regular TV where you're sitting through just an interminable number of terrible ads. Um, but if you, if you create that proposition for people and they look at the fight card and go, Gonzaga versus Crow Cup? Nah, I'm not paying for that. Then that means they're also not seeing, you know, the fighters who you're going to want to promote in the future, like that straw, women's strawweight uh, contender fight. Like, you... It's hard for the UFC, I think, and they're still struggling with how to do that, to, uh, to be able to say, like, well, hey, we, we know we have a ton of events and some of them are in weird places at weird times, so we don't expect you to watch them all. But then to also say, like... One of the good things about this sport is that you, the way you can just kind of follow these threads of different people's careers from one event to the next. It's already hard to do that just by the number of events and the number of fights there are. You make it even harder if you're basically encouraging people to skip some events. And that's, I think when people start skipping some of them, they don't know the people anymore. They get used to skipping them, and then they slowly just kind of drift away from the sport.
0: All right. Well, Ben, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me?, and then we'll move on. Uh my are you fucking kidding me this week is Mirko crocop related ben uh crocop came out at this event and uh got his first ufc win since a victory over pat berry do you remember when that was summer of 2011 summer of 2010 oh june of 2010 crocop gets it in an octagon main event uh in a region of the world that was Somewhere, somewhat allegedly, kind of close to his home, right? Uh, he avenges one of his career's most embarrassing and, and damaging losses to Gabriel Gonzaga, and his reaction is uh, no reaction. He just slumped away like an old man who got told to wait at the back of the line at the DMV and sat down on his stool and was just like, somebody take a look at this cut. <laughs> Because, you know, I've heard of acting like you've been there before, but are you fucking kidding me? Mirko Krokop, this was either the biggest baller move that I've ever seen, or maybe kind of sad. I couldn't decide. Fucking kidding me?
1: You know, one thing, uh, my wife and daughter came downstairs just in time to catch the end of this fight. And when Krokop mentioned afterwards that he was going to get in the car and drive back home to uh, Croatia in a couple hours... Um, my wife pointed out like our ignorance of Eastern European landscape was such that she was like, If you told me that was a 45-minute drive, I'd believe you. If you told me that it took 16 hours, I would also believe (laughs) that.
0: exactly, yeah. No
1: idea. Well, Jed, my, are you fucking kidding me? Also coming from this fight card, uh, I'm sure you didn't see it because it was on the prelims, kicked off at around 10.30 a.m. in the one true time zone. But Stevie Ray, a man from Scotland. Wait, Booker T's tag team
0: partner from Harlem Heat?
1: close different stevie ray different stevie ray uh he comes in here on short notice to fight uh, marcin bandel uh and for one thing, he, Scottish dude, he walks out to the Braveheart theme. Okay.
0: I'm which down. are
1: you fucking kidding me? That's awesome. Then he goes out there, uh, resists all Bandel's attempts to get just any sort of leg lock he can, uh, goes into the second round and knocks him out in just brutal ground and pound fashion. Then gets on the mic, tells the Polish fans that he knows that they were hoping that their hometown guy would have won, uh, and he actually apologizes to them. For essentially winning, and so that a Polish fighter could not win that fight, and seems sincere about it. Are you fucking kidding me? That's a baller move, Chad. (laughs)
0: Are you fucking kidding me? That's gonna do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
1: Well, Chad, bad news. I know you were really excited to see your guy, the soldier of God, Yoel Romero, show up, fight, probably do something weird against Jacare Souza, win or lose, and then uh, look like a, a dude just about ready to, to roll into like a Prohibition-era speakeasy at the post-fight press conference. But now it looks like that's not
0: going to happen. I... I cried aloud. I was in my car in traffic, stopped at a red light, checked my Twitter, saw that the soldier of God had been injured, and I cried out, <laughs> literally cried out in my car. Oh, Because man. this was going to be a fight between two A-list Team Dundas members, not only everyone's favorite men's fragrance, chocolate, <laughs> but the soldier of God, my other guy. So, yeah. To have Yoel Romero fall out of this one was tough. Not to mention the fact that this is the second postponement for this fight. That's right. These guys were supposed to fight before and they had to call it off because Jacare got pneumonia.
1: That's right. But then you'll notice the difference there is they postponed it uh, and so that they could still do it. Now uh, Romero off with a, a knee injury. And so who do we get to step in? Chris Kamozi who had been out of the UFC, was fired after a four-fight losing streak that began when he got very quickly choked by Jacare in a fight that was not even close. Then he lost three more after that. UFC cut him. He went, fought twice in Prize
0: FC. Uh, Wait, Pride FC is still around? Prize. Oh, Prize with a Z. That's a Z. That is something else entirely. That's right.
1: Uh, yeah, he won two fights there. Uh, You didn't hear about it because you didn't even know Prize FC was a thing. And now he's back because the UFC needed somebody willing to, to fight Jacare on a week's notice. So first, let's talk about this because I felt like as soon as I heard this news, right, Romero's out, Chris Camosi is in, uh, and you could already see how this was going to go, and it went exactly the way I would have thought, which is somebody's going to get on Twitter and tell Dana White, what the hell is this, man? This sucks. And Dana White is going to call them either a goof. I think in this case, he actually went with dummy.
0: Okay, um, yeah.
1: And basically just yell at them for having the the audacity to point out that maybe having Jacare fight a dude he already smoked once is not as good a fight as Jacare versus one of the other best middleweights in the world. Now, I here's the part I don't understand, man. Like, why would it be so hard to admit? Like, hey, yeah, man, this is a bummer. We know it's a bummer. We know everybody wanted to see Romero and Jacare. We wanted to see it too. We tried to make it happen twice. Shit, man. Sometimes it just goes down like that. It's it sucks, but we're making the best of it. Like, couldn't you just say that as a promoter? Couldn't you just be like, yeah, we realize that that kind of sucks, but like, hey, that's the, it's not our fault. This is a situation we're we're trying to make the best of it. Instead of being like, hey, you idiot. Like don't act like the dude is an idiot for pointing out that one that one fight is a poor substitute for the other because that dude is just proving that he's paying enough attention that he knows that this is not a as nearly as good a fight.
0: Yeah, well and the like the, the kind of strange part about that tweet, I mean the the hey you're a dummy part, I guess it was completely expected, right? But the kind so of So expected. The kind of strange part about that tweet was like that he followed it up by saying like do you know how many people want to fight Jocker Ray on on well, was short notice? Like a week's notice. A week's notice. And then it's like one exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Like that's a weird thing to admit, right? Like we are putting we off. We asked this, everyone. That's right. We asked everyone. And this is literally the last guy we could find. Like the only person who thought this was a good idea. So we're going to do it. Well, yeah. Well, and I
1: mean, I, I wrote something about this today. I'm sure it'll be up by the time the, the podcast is up. But uh, the the kind of the, the logic that we use in fight sports with this kind of stuff and that we that only really gets used in fight sports or maybe the theater where the show must go on uh where the idea that like okay because this guy will do it he's the right guy for the job and because no one else will do it it makes this guy seem even ballsier for doing it which then is the only thing that really bolsters uh, the fight to begin with. And like, we've seen the USC try that again with like, hey, why did Shel Sonnen deserve this title shot? Because he said yes. Uh, that kind of thing. Like, it is a weird logic to, to use to say like, because no one else would do it, the one guy who was, either wasn't concerned enough about his career or had no better options, uh, he said yes, and therefore, like, that makes him awesome. Uh, that's a, that's kind of a weird thing. And also the thing, I, I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying like, well, hey, what do you, poor Jacare if they don't, if he doesn't do this, right? Like if the UFC has to find him somebody else to fight, he needs that paycheck. He put in a training camp and this is all true. Like I'm sure for Jacare, he's like, well, I, I mean this if he beats Chris Camosi again, that does nothing for his career, but like, it's probably an easy paycheck for him. He'd, I'm sure rather have that paycheck than not have it after all the, the training camp stuff he put in. I'm sure for him, he's like, okay, this is not the worst case scenario. Like this is at least a step up from that. Uh, but it also, it's still just it still kind of sucks.
0: Right. And well, it puts everybody in a bad situation. Obviously the, the, just the injury puts everyone in an awkward situation. And I think at this point we've reached the, the, the situation where we can no longer pretend that this is like an injury bug or even an injury epidemic. Like this is just the nature of things. Yes. Like if you're going to do this 50 events a year, there's going to be a lot of like opportunities for guys to get hurt and drop out of fights. Um. And, but that, and that puts everybody in a weird situation, including the UFC, a, a difficult situation. I don't want to, you know, make it seem like we're just blasting them. Like, obviously they're between a rock and a hard place. Uh, they, they gotta do something here, but it like, it puts everyone in a strange situation in that, you know, we thought that Yoel Romero against Jockeray was, was, had the potential to be a number one contender fight. You know, they were going to, whoever, we thought that whoever came out of this event looking the best between this foursome of Luke Rockhold, Leota Machida, Jockeray Souza, and Yoel Romero would probably get the nod to be the number one contender. You know, especially assuming if that, uh, you know, Chris Weidman emerges victorious over Vitor Belfort when their, when their fight actually happens. Uh, but now it just like kind of undercuts a lot of the intrigue for this event. Because you'd think that the Luke Rockhold versus Machida winner is like your pretty much your only option, uh, and puts Jacare in a tough situation because you know J- Jacare uh, has won five or six fights in a row uh, and a bunch in a row in the UFC and like deserve is a deserving number one contender, but again, beating Chris Camozzi doesn't necessarily do anything for him. No. Well,
1: I I guess though. If you have to end up in that situation, you could do a lot worse than to have Machida Rockhold uh, set up your next contender in the middleweight division. I mean, it goes—it takes you from a situation where it seemed like you had a wealth of possible contenders to where uh, you're kind of just choosing like one obvious guy. I mean, maybe it kind of makes things even easier on you in that sense. It's not so bad to have to take one of those guys it really just sucks for Jacques Array. he's 35 man he doesn't have a ton of time he needs to make the most of what he has here and now he's not really getting the chance because hey, yeah, if you go out there like what could he possibly do against chris Kamosi that would push him forward from where he is right now like you still you would think like okay he might need to win one more to to prove he's a number one contender or just wait around until the ufc has to uh, go through the next round of contenders and come back around looking for absolutely anybody. Uh, I mean, he he's not getting the chance to go out there and make a case for himself. Uh, and he doesn't have a whole lot more time to, to waste doing that. So I, I really do feel bad for him. It seems like it's just one of those situations where I don't know why it seems impossible for the sport to admit this sucks. It sucks for anybody. It's not even really anybody's fault. Um, why can't we just admit that it sucks instead of having to try to like completely reshape the argument uh, and come up with some way to convince ourselves that like, this is a Rocky story or something, which is always what we do. I'm so sick of it.
0: Chris Camozzi comes in uh, off back-to-back wins. His first one was at Prize FC7 Rock and Rumble.
1: You really got to lean on that Z so people don't get the wrong and idea. His
0: second one was uh, against Wes Swafford at Prize FC8, which at least on my Wikipedia page was one they didn't bother to give a, a tagline to. Uh, but both first round finishes one submission, one uh TKO via leg kick in the first round. Wow. Uh, but uh, you know he he he. I guess this is an opportunity he's not gonna say no to. So here we are.
1: Uh, the prize uh FC nine the the next one they have. I, I looked it up on their website. That one does have a name. Oh, okay. Uh, that one uh going down uh in uh. Williston, North Dakota. Mm,
0: beautiful Williston.
1: That's right. Um, it's called the Bakken Brawlers after the uh, the Bakken oil fields sure, out there. Yes. Uh, the poster, which I'm looking at right now, shows a couple of guys brawling it out. You'll see oh, there yeah. that's superimposed over an image of oil wells in the background. And Chad, who's this fella in black and white right here with all the tattoos? You recognize him? The
0: guy in the forefront of the poster? The guy
1: who is kind of the focal point of this poster, yes. That
0: looks like vanilla ice from where I am. It is
1: vanilla ice, Chad. There's a vanilla ice concert at Prize FC9. I'm saying, I don't, I mean, you look down here at the the tickets, 35 bucks gets you in the door. Uh, you get to see a bunch of fights and appearance by Shane Carwin and Kat Zangano uh and
0: vanilla ice live in concert worth it that's worth the money that's a bargain bargain at twice i mean if you're within driving distance to williston north dakota
1: that's right and you don't mind uh all the weirdness that goes along with being out in the the oil patch there uh just if you think you're going to get a hotel room in in williston north dakota right now think again my friend
0: i like a fight poster that looks like the cheap version of an early 90s master p album You know, just with like a lot of things, a lot of random stuff, Photoshop together. I like that. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Ben, even though the co-main event falling apart is kind of a bummer for this event, we should still get a dandy in the main event as Luke Rockhold goes up against Leoto Machida. Almost certainly you would think at this point to decide a number one contender for the UFC 185 pound title. Uh, Leoto Machida has only lost at middleweight to the champion in a crackerjack of a fight at UFC 175. Uh, last year, and uh, Luke Rockhold has really been on a tear um, ever since he got kicked in the head with spinning heel kick by the enhanced version of Vitor Belfort. Since then, he's won three in a row. His latest one, a uh, uh, second-round finish of Michael Disping uh, in November of last year. He is going off here as a slight favorite over Lyoto Machida. Does that surprise you?
1: That surprised me a little bit, although it's a very slight favorite, right?
0: Yeah, he is uh, minus 140, minus 135, kind of across the board. Minus Looks like minus uh, 145 is as long as it gets.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a close fight. It's a tough one to call, especially with Machida. It's difficult sometimes to tell uh, how his style is going to match up with someone else's, because that's a, a big part of it always with him. I think, though, that if you look at at least what we've seen of Luke Rockhold, especially lately, he seems like he has a pretty good style to...
0: To counter Machida's stuff, does he not? Well, yeah. I mean, he's a an enormous middleweight. He moves around the cage really well. He seems very dynamic with his striking. Uh, you know, the kind of guy who's who's dangerous with uh, uh, both his punches and his kicks. And also, if you get him, give him the opportunity to to put you on the mat, he will also uh, tap you out for your trouble. So, yeah, I think this is going to be a, a terrific fight. I have frankly no idea. Who's gonna win? I think my heart says Rockhold a little bit, just because I would like to see him finally kind of get the chance to to prove uh, that that he's a an elite, you know, one of the two or three best guys in the division. Uh, and I think seeing him fight Chris Weidman would also be a whole lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Well, here's one like this whole fight card. I feel like is one. It'll be interesting to see what happens this week because you hope that uh, the the big kind of event buzz will kind of settle in, and I think it, it should on this one, because it's a it's a Fox card, so it's on free, for free on network TV, and you look at the entire main card, I mean, you know, yeah, you had the Romero dropping out and Kamosi stepping in there, uh, and that's a bummer, but really, it's still a really good main card, and I'll uh, a lot going on there in several different divisions. Seems like the kind of thing that you could really be able to go out there and shout about to even the casual fans and get them to come back around and sit down on Saturday night and watch a. Uh, you know the UFC for free on network tv i just wonder uh if it's one of those things where because as we said before we we're now in the beginning stages of a stretch of just like constant events one right after another it seems tough to to really single one out enough to to make sure that it rises above the just constant din of hey it's fight week
0: yeah and this was definitely the one that you would have had marked on your calendar in that regard um you know even before uh, TJ Dillashaw fell out of UFC 186, and even before, um, a judge told Rampage Jackson he wasn't allowed to be there, uh, this one definitely shaped up as a, a can't miss event. Obviously, that was before UL Romero got hurt, but you're right. It still, uh, still should be, uh, you know, a, a, a really good event. Uh, I'm looking at the card here. Wikipedia tells me that the prelims are also on Fox. Is that true? That is one? true. Yeah. So It goes right have from have a, Fight
1: Pass to, to Fox. So
0: they're going to have a, a probably like a solid four-hour block of programming on Fox on, on Saturday night. That's that's pretty good. That's pretty good exposure. And the prelims, frankly, ain't bad. You know, no, you, you got Jim Miller on there. You got Ovin St. Preux against Patrick Cummins.
1: OSP and Patrick Cummins going to do it. Yeah. Uh, Jim Miller and Benil Dariush. Um, yeah, so you, you got some stuff worth uh, tuning in for on this one. Also, you know, Cubby Swanson uh, going to go in there against Max Holloway. I think that's another fight that's pretty tough to call.
0: Yeah, I mean, you just started looking down the, the fight card, Felice Harris against Paige Van Zandt in the opener of the main card. That's going to work uh you know for what they want uh listen to you cub cub swanson and 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 max holloway will be a lot of fun then you got jacquery souza probably running through chris camozzi uh and then you might have a very competitive and and fun to watch main event so this uh it has the potential to be a real standout card you know right here in this stretch where we're getting a lot of fights right in a row and 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 yet it's it's hard to really uh you know, get jacked up about too many of the single events, I would think. Well, when you look at the the main event here, it's one where
1: I think like if Luke Rockhold goes out there and he's able to beat Machida, then boom, you know, you got to think guaranteed title shot, right? Like regardless of what happens with Chris Weidman and Vitor Belfort, uh, you got to think that Weidman is next in line. I'm not so sure it works the same for Machida.
0: No, you. if Machida wins and well, assuming that Weidman wins, I mean, that's, That's kind of imperative on all of this, because if Belfort wins, then it's kind of all bets are off. They could do a rematch uh, or Leota Machida's candidacy as a number one contender would probably still be just as viable as anybody else's.
1: Or we'd spend the next like two to four weeks after Belfort wins, just anxiously awaiting uh, drug test results. That
0: too, that too. Uh, But assuming that Weidman comes out victorious at at their fight, uh a Machida win would still open the door for Jacare a little bit you would think if yeah. he goes out there and steamrolls Kamozi right
1: well i don't know i mean i think that it like he goes out there and steamrolls Kamozi that's exactly what everyone expects i mean i think like from Kamozi's perspective he doesn't even have to win for this to turn out to be a really good idea for him to take this fight he makes it into the second round maybe he takes it, makes it an exciting fight like then it, it'll prove to be a good idea for him to step up on short notice and get himself back in the UFC with it. But for Jacare, even if he goes out there, immediately takes him down, chokes him out, alligator crawls across the cage, uh, which I know you love. Oh, I do. Uh, I still think, you know, that's not going to be enough to, to Trump like a loop rock hold victory over Machida. However, uh, if, if Machida goes out there and wins, I don't know. Wouldn't be too hard to see Jacques Array versus uh, you know Machida or or somebody else uh, to really solidify that number one contender spot because they both would have like some knock against them. You know, for Jacques Array you'd be able to say, "Hey, you just beat Chris Camosi. You beat some dude off a Prize FC man. Come on, they're doing and Brawlers and Vanilla vanilla Ices up in the house next week. Don't get too excited." And then Leota Machida, hey, you just had a fight with the champ, man. Like it, it was exciting and everything, but still, like. I think that does kind of throw us into a little more state of flux.
0: Yeah, a lot of options, I guess you could say. It's going to be uh, hard to tell what happens till we actually see these guys fight. But I guess that's one of the interesting things and, and you know, reasons for people to come back next week, I guess. There you go. To the co-main event podcast.
1: And damn it, we need those reasons.
0: Do you want to do just saying stuff and then we'll uh, get out of here for this week? Sure. Ben, what is your... Just saying stuff.
1: Well speaking of the whole Jacques Chris Camosi, Yoel Romero situation, Jed, did you happen to catch the when they actually made the announcement during UFC Fight Night sixty
0: four? Uh yes.
1: No, you didn't. You don't even have the fight pass. You don't even – you don't know what the hell's going on. No, here. I don't. Well, what happened was they said beforehand like, hey, after this next fight, we're going to announce the replacement for UL Romero. And everybody – you know, the word kind of spreads on Twitter. Everybody gets excited. Oh, man, here we go. Drum roll. Uh, and then when they make the announcement, uh, it's John Gooden and, and Dan Hardy on the mic. They throw it to Dan Hardy and they say the replacement is. And Dan Hardy says, Chris Camozzi even he sounds completely unexcited about it uh and like they just just right seconds before that handed him a note card that said chris kamozi on it <laughs> uh written in in blue pen and uh they don't even as far as i can tell mention the fact that it's a rematch i'm just saying it kind of seemed like even the ufc people were baffled by this one and realized that There really wasn't a whole lot of great stuff they could say about it, so let's just say the name, toss it out there, and then move on. I'm just saying. I think that tells us all we need to
0: know. Just saying. Well, Ben, don't jump up and run out of here to get tickets just yet, but Bobby Lashley against James Thompson 2 is back on again, again. What? Where's my credit card? The first time they fought was, uh, uh, oh. Yeah, that's right. James Thompson beat Lashley via unanimous decision at Super Fight League 3 back in 2012, which we all watched that one. Right? Yeah. yeah, we did. Um, They were supposed to do it again, brother, at Bellator 134, but that got canceled because James Thompson got injured, and so now it's been rebooked for Bellator 138 in June, which I'm sure I don't have to remind you is the show where Ken Shamrock is also going to fight Kimbo Slice, Asterix, as long as nobody gets hurt or flunks their drug test. Are you fucking kidding me, Bellator? You are making this shit too easy. Just take my money, even though this is on free TV. Can I just, like, scratch a check? Can I write a, a $25 check to everybody on the main card? Because this shit is too good, man. I'm just saying. Did your just saying also include an are you fucking kidding me? Doubled up this week. That's, that's Kind of interchangeable. Called an audible. Unprecedented. Could say.
1: Unprecedented, i'm here to innovate
0: man i'm an innovator can you know we,
1: can we officially... two weeks from now you'll
0: do the same thing people be all over twitter being like can't believe ben folks innovated and are you fucking kidding me into is just saying stuff well my a... contribution per usual will be lost to history well
1: i just hope that bellator can agree to rename or at least you know i don't think they even do the names anymore but just to name this fight card would watch
0: would <laughs> why will watch hashtag we'll watch that's going to do it for the co-main event podcast this week we'll be back next week to tell you about all the crazy stuff that happens about at ufc on fox 15 and look ahead to ufc 186 as for right now though we are done we are through we are out
1: man that that first james thompson and bobby lashley fight that was wasn't
0: that that was a memorable that was one for the yeah, ages remember was, with the one of the there was the uh-huh. the punching yeah. through. uh and then it went the distance, yeah, so... Yeah, that, it did, apparently, everyone, yeah. one, you know, unanimous it decision was so, there. Because, it was so very memorable.